Let's just open with some prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. I thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the apostle Peter and his writing of this book, this letter. Um, may you, Holy Spirit, uh, speak this morning as uh, the human vessel does its best to explain what you once said. So the best way for that to happen is for you to show up and speak. So may you speak to your people. May you uh, prick the heart of those who don't know you this morning as they hear about Christ and what he's done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll start with the reading of the word. Um, we're continuing. Well, let me say this first before I start the reading of the word. Uh, we are continuing in our series, uh, Triumphing in Troubled Times. Um, and that's out of 1 Peter. And so um, last week, Pastor spoke a little bit about submission to government and different things of that nature. He called it show and tell, if you'll recall. And uh, I, I tried to find out how did he come up with that title. But he did, and it was wonderful. But let's start off. We're going to be reading from, uh, I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. Um, it's what I study in, and so I wrote it out that way. And uh, we'll discuss some things here in a moment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. And um, follow along with me as I read it for us. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have been now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So I, I titled the sermon, Called for This Purpose. Called for This Purpose. And about the middle of this, we're going to start talking about that. But I want to go through some submission things first. So submission... No matter what the status or the condition, submission in suffering, we're going to cover it like this. Submission in suffering is going to be our first thing that we talk about. How do you submit while you're being done wrong? And then we'll get over and we'll talk about being called for the purpose of suffering. You've been called for this purpose to submit even while you're suffering. And then we'll talk about Christ as the standard of how to suffer. The steps you take in suffering. The example. And then we'll talk about the substitute of Christ. 
the atoning substitute of him. And lastly, we'll talk about him as our shepherd. Let's start with, when we read the first verse, I read from the NASB and it says servants. If you are, the very first word is servants. Now, you may be reading from an NIV or an ESV, that might be what you have in front of you, and you're probably going to see it say slaves. Slaves, be submissive to your masters with all respect. You see that, right? Well, I thought, you know what? If I'm going to talk about that portion, maybe it'd be good to give you a New Testament definition of what slavery was like or what slaves were during this time when Peter was writing this epistle. If you don't have that, you kind of go off thinking that He's talking about slavery as it was here in North America because that's what we're familiar with. That's a new world slavery. Well, for that, I went to a, um, a little book was given to me and I, I kind of copied down some things. So it's going to feel like I'm reading it because I am. <laughs> um, because it just defines, it gives us a definition of kind of what slavery looked like during this time. So let's go. The book is... Um, uh, Slaves and Slavery in the Roman World is by S. Scott Bartke. So I'm going to give him credit because I'm going to read. I think I changed a few things, but it's basically his thoughts. And the number one that I'll start off with, Aristotle. How many of you have ever heard of Aristotle? Great philosopher, uh, a religious guy. This is what he said about slavery. It says, Aristotle defined a Greek slave as a living tool. A living tool. Imagine if you were a slave and all you were looked at was you're a living tool. You're nothing else. You're just a living tool. That's what Aristotle said about him. <coughs> Historians estimate that as many as 12 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. There was around estimates of about 60 million people living in the Roman Empire around it in the surrounding areas. So if you're a real good mathematician, you don't have to do the they math because I took care of it for you. That's 20%. 20% of all the people that lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. Okay? Now that, just perspective. That whole thing over there, that whole section, that would be slaves. Okay? It gives you an idea. Children of slaves became slaves at birth. So if you were a slave and you gave birth to a child, the child was automatically a slave. Um, and it was not, and I capitalize not, unusual for free parents, parents that had their freedom, they weren't slaves. This was in the Greek, Roman, or the Judean to sell their older children. Now, I, I say kiddingly, they probably right when they got to be teenagers, they said, let's just sell them. No, that's just a joke. I'm sorry. It's a bad joke. But So they would sell their older children because they could not support them, or they would sell them to pay their debts. Especially if you had a young daughter that was premenstrual. You could get a big fee for her. And I think I can let you use your imagination as to why that would be true. All right? So, um, not uncommon. Very common practice. Physical violence against slaves was regarded as right and proper. 
Slaves were subjected to beatings, torture, and death through crucifixion to reinforce social hierarchy and to make clear that they did not belong to the fully human rational community. These are people made in the image of God. Yet, to the master, slaves were usually regarded as valuable property and were treated as such. Because if you had slaves, that meant you had value. So if you had them, that was a valuable thing. You were seen as somebody had arrived if you had slaves. Here's some stuff that I think was new to me whenever I studied this. I studied this whenever I was in seminary. I did a, a, a report on Philemon, and we talked about some of these things and read some of this stuff. But listen to this. Skin color, ethnic racial origins, did not indicate slave status in the Roman Empire. Didn't matter what color your skin was. If you're a slave, you're a slave. And you became a slave through all kinds of... You can be born into slavery. That was one way. But, you know, a lot of times at war, you know, Roman... The Romans were pretty vicious warriors. You do remember that, right? They were probably one of the biggest armies that ever existed, and they were dominant. Well, when they would fight, if they came and fought against this section of the, pro of the building right now, and they won that section, they could turn everyone in that section into a slave. So it was common. That was part of the uh, winning of the battle, was that you got slaves. Now, this is very interesting because you can say, man, those Romans had all those slaves. How un oh, man, how wrong of them. You know that most of the stuff that you go to Rome right now and you visit the temples and all the different things that are there, most of it was built by slaves. All those ruins that you go to look at, all, most of that was created and produced by slavery. Just wanted you to know that. Both the enslaved and their masters, now this is very interesting, shared the dominant cultural values, social codes, and religious traditions, even as most slaves yearned to become their own masters. They still shared the values of slavery. It was considered a normal part of their culture. Even as slaves, they could own property. And some even owned their own slaves. Imagine that, slaves owning slaves. That's new. I'm, most of you didn't know that, I'm sure, unless you studied this. They could accumulate a fund called a, a peculium, which they might then use to purchase their own freedom. This was known as manumission. So you could, they could store up funds and buy their way out of slavery if indeed they had a debt is why they were in slavery. So they could do that. Uh, the slavery that I've learned about, you could never do that. You couldn't even have money in the slavery that we understood. Education of slaves was encouraged. And why would that be? As it generally increased the slave's value. Thus, many slaves function, this is incredible, in highly responsible and sensitive positions, such as managers of large farms, households, business enterprises, and workshops, as well as physicians, accountants, personal secretaries, tutors, sea captains, and even municipal officials. Yeah. Okay. Slaves were not considered, even in all of this stuff that we read about, slaves were still not considered the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid of the Roman Empire. The bottom was considered to be the impoverished free man or free person 
who could not sustain a job anywhere. They were really even lower than the slaves because the slaves at least had a job and they got taken care of, they got fed. Okay? And sometimes that's why they would sell themselves into slavery. They, they would sell themselves into slavery. Roman slaves who came from a wide variety of ethnic, social, and educational backgrounds had no consciousness of being a social class as such. It wasn't like, well, you're a slave, so you're in a different... Even though they treated them that way, it's kind of weird. There's no consciousness of it. And, um, you know, even some of the slaves, because of the way they were uh, taken in battle, let's say, or they had to sell themselves into... Some of them were highly educated. They were more educated than their masters were, even. They, they had a better understanding of how businesses work. This reminded me of um, when they said that they did incredible things like physicians and doctors and managers. It reminded me of the story of Joseph. How he was really, if you think about it, a slave is just another form of being in prison. Is that not true? When you see the, the definition that they did for slavery, it looks like they're in prison to me. Well, Joseph was thrown in prison, but then he, would, he did so well and managed his, his, uh, the, the uh, emperor's home so well that he became head of all of it. Well, good night. He was a prisoner. Now he's running the, the government. And we know God was behind that. We know the story of Joseph. But, and in contrast to lifelong slavery, which is what I would think it would be, a large number of domestic and urban slaves in the early Roman Empire could anticipate being set free often by the age of 30. So they would be in slavery up until around the age of 30 and then they'd be set free. So, interesting stuff. Now, this is how he starts out. Slaves or servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Now, let me go there. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are very unre or unreasonable. So, what's the attitude? What's the predominant attitude that Peter says you're supposed to have? Submission with some respect? Only respect if they treat you good? Only respect if everything's good? With all respect, regardless of how you're being treated. The importance of attitude in submission. You're not submitting if you don't have the right attitude. My kids would submit to my authority because I was bigger than them. That's not submission. It's about a heart thing. It's having respect for those that God has put over you. It's respect for the authority that's been put over you. I find it very interesting. Well, let me go ahead and I want to read these three verses together. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. So all respect is necessary, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience, Toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? There is none. There is none. You get no credit for enduring a hardship when you brought it on yourself. Don't tell me about your cousin who robbed a bank who's now being mistreated because he's in prison. 
No, he's paying the price for what he did wrong. And that would be, you know, we're going to relate this. We, we don't have slaves today, right? Some of you feel like on your job you're a slave. You're not a slave. Right? But that's how we relate this. Here's the thing. The principles of what's going on here are true in any circumstance. Any circumstance. On your job, in your home, wherever that is. Here at the church. Huh? What does Hebrews say? Hebrews 13, 17. Those of you who've been through membership know it's one of my favorite verses. And it was one of my favorite verses when I was not an elder and I was in no authority. Because it says, submit and obey those that have been put in charge of you. <clears throat> submit and obey. That sounds like you're giving them the correct authority. So even here, you have to submit sometimes. And, and hopefully you don't feel like you're suffering. Now, if you sign up for summer night camp, you, by the time that week's over, you might feel like you've been doing some suffering. But sign up and pray up, and, and the Lord will use you and change some little child's life. Wow. I wish every one of you would sign up to be over there. It is incredible. What Andrea and Sandy and the children's ministry do on summer night camp is in, it's just incredible. You have to be here to see it and um, to watch all these kids and how they can keep them contained and suffer for the Lord in the process is always amazing to me. So attitude uh, seems to be very important when it comes to submission, whether it's good circumstances or bad circumstances. The attitude is whether the attitude tells me if you are really submitting or not, right? Uh, another place where I saw this was. Um, uh, and, and because we relate, here's how we relate this passage normally. I think most of you have heard this passage, and you would say, because um, I was sharing this with somebody in the office about the slavery thing and this and that, and, that, and the individual said to me, and they were right, they said, well, in today's world, that's really like on your job. The, the master is your boss at work and that type of thing. The problem is, um, Phil's my boss, and I have a hard time thinking of him as my master, so that's a little weird, but no, he is my boss. So anyway, so you, you have to kind of look at it like that. So that's how we would view this today, probably. We'd say in this particular patch, but like I say, the principles are still true. They're still true. Um, how many of you, when you first got on your job or a job, it's just any job, and they didn't know you were a Christian, and they treated you one way? And then when they found out you were a Christian, they treated you differently. Like, you're in a management position, and they want you to go out and have drinks with them after work. And you know, a lot of work gets done after work. When you have drinks with the boys or girls, you might get the next promotion. Because you, you, you paid for the drinks, maybe. You're laughing, but that's true. So, in that circumstance, now you don't get the promotion because you, you refuse to go out and drink with him. You refuse to go out and party. So now you don't, oh, we're not going to give him the promotion. He's not a team player. Or she's not a team player. We're not going to give them that promotion. Well, we would call that suffering for the Lord in reality. You're like, I got some principles that I stand by. I, I, I submit to you. I give you all respect. I do what I'm supposed to do there, but I, I won't, I, listen, submission only works to the point of if it doesn't go against Scripture. doesn't go against your convictions based on the scriptures. Somebody asked earlier, I didn't do the section on government, the pastor did that. They said, 
well, when do we not submit to our government? And someone said, well, probably regarding abortions, we wouldn't submit to the government. I'm like, well, that, that would be true. We don't agree with abortion, but, and I would disagree if the, if the government told me that I had to, if my wife had to have an abortion, I would say, I can't go along with that. And I don't agree with having abortions. I, I never have. But I don't think it's also something for me to change the government over. I think it's something that we will sign petitions for and we'll march, we'll do all those things, but it's not something that I have to take on. All right. So I don't have to submit to that. It's just something the government does. I, I, I submit to paying taxes. Do you? Yeah, I don't like it. Talk about suffering. All right. But you submit to it. But in, uh, I was just going to give another example of this attitude, how it's important. Um, pastor gave me this definition. Even if they were not being treated fairly, they were supposed to submit and give all respect to the authority over them. In that, sir, said that already. But Pastor gave me this definition, and I give credit to Phil for this. And if he got it somewhere else, he'll have to tell you where he got it. But I liked it. Submission, as we understand it in the biblical context of it, it's an inward choice being made by you not based on good circumstances. True submission takes place when it's something you don't think you should have to do. But you go ahead and do it because you're submitting to those in authority over you. Right? That's the true definition of submission. So, I'll read this passage to you. Colossians 3.22 through 24. You don't have to look at it. You can if you want to, but I don't have enough time for us to keep looking stuff up. So, slaves, again, slaves. We're back to slaves again. This is Paul writing this now. Different author, okay, because he wrote Colossians. Slaves, in all things, no, not in some things, not in the things that I like to do, in all things. I can't get around all, meaning all. I don't know how to get away from it. In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, not men, the Lord. So you're doing it unto the Lord, not unto men. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance oh my goodness the inheritance it is the Lord Christ whom you serve well my goodness doesn't that change your attitude it certainly should change your attitude next subject so the principle's the same. Good treatment, bad treatment. Submission with respect. Heartily working. So you're on your job and you're working and you get accused of something or you get passed over. So what's the first thing you do when that happens? You go and talk bad about your boss. Right? That's the first thing you do. At the, in the lunchroom, you kind of whisper it to people. Hey, you know, they passed me over. I'm a lot better than that guy was, you know, and all that. Because, you know, you got to... You know what I found out with people? Most of you don't suffer from having a high regard for yourself. And I don't either. 
So there's some suffering that's going to take place in this life. And that's the subject matter of the title. That's how we got to our title. Because you go to verse 21, and he says, For you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for me, have been called for this purpose. What purpose? For you. If you go to the for you, it, it talks about something before it, which is the suffering in submission with all respect, even when you're being treated incorrectly. Huh? Am I? That's what it says. I love it when I don't make stuff up. I just read the passage to you. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. Who are you trying to be like? As a Christian, who are you modeling your life after? Pastor Phil? Pastor Larry, please don't model after me. No, you're modeling your life after Christ. That's who you're trying to be like. That's who you're trying. You're trying to attain the righteousness of Christ. The, the sanctification process is going on in you. That's what you're working on. Well, let me show you something. you got a roadmap right here on how to do that. And so for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Now, earlier I said that Peter was addressing an audience, or I think I said it, I hope I said it. He was addressing an audience when he talked about slaves that was probably as, as bad a condition as you're ever going to be in as a human, as a slave. You weren't even looked at as human as others. Yet you were looked at as valuable because your value was to someone else, not yourself. So it's interesting how that works. But then we come to this. We say, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. Let me tell you someone who had it worse than the slaves. No one suffered more than Jesus Christ. No one has suffered more than him. No one had more to give up than him. You didn't have as much to give up as he did. What does Philippians say? He came down from heaven considering it nothing to be at his father's right hand and took on flesh on your behalf. That's the submission that he did. So what's the purpose? Suffering. That's it. Submission and suffering. That's what, he, that's what we were talking about in the whole two paragraphs before this. Submission, suffering. Submission to the government. What did we, I mean, I don't want to preach Phil's stuff again, but submit yourself, why? For the Lord's sake, not for your sake, not so you'll look good to men, but so that God will look good because people see you as representing him and you're submitting as you're supposed to. God looks good. God gets glorified by that. That's the purpose. So your purpose is to suffer and to submit unto the Lord so that he'll be glorified. Your purpose is to submit and suffer for the Lord so that he'll be glorified. Now, can I hear you say amen? amen. That's what it's about. And I love this, this word, for example. He's your example. 
Um, that, that word, I, I didn't even write down, it's a Greek word, but it means underwrite. And what that meant was to place a paper underneath what you're going to write out, whether it's words or a picture or whatever. And then what would happen is below that, on that next paper below, it would trace it out. It would copy it. So he's saying, as your example, your copy, you're supposed to copy what Christ did. Amen? Copy what he did. In his suffering, how did he respond? How did he act? Did he say, I got rights, I'm an American citizen, I belong to the union. You can't tell me that. I refuse to dig that ditch. That's the laborer's work. Huh? Let's see, what was Christ's attitude? What was his actions? What are the steps? I almost titled this the path to glory. I didn't. I went back to this. Poor Lisa had to change the slide at midnight last night. This is the only place, that example, this is the only place in the whole New Testament that word is used. It's just right there in 1 Peter. To be the example by following in his steps. Well, when you follow someone's steps... When you follow Christ's steps, when you get in his steps, are you going the right direction? I think you're going the right direction if you get right in his steps. Because for one, he ain't going to take you the wrong direction. He doesn't know the wrong direction. I mean, he does, but you know what I'm saying. So what, how did, what were his steps? What did they look like? Well, it's right here. And, and then he, he quotes back here. He's, like, he's going to quote Isaiah 53.9. But, but we won't go there because he's quoting it, so it's right here. So what was his steps? He committed no sin. Who committed no sin? While he was being done wrong, he committed no sin. While he wasn't being observed, when he called himself the Messiah, the Christ has come, what did they say? You aren't him. You're a fake. You're an imposter. What did he do? He, talked, he just kept talking about the Scriptures. Talking about the Scriptures. He committed no sin either before or during his crucifixion or after. He is not capable of sinning. He can't be God and sin. So he committed no sin before or during or suffering in his crucifixion. No deceit was found in his mouth. He wasn't lying his way out of nothing. He could have. If ever there could have been somebody deceitful to a, a human audience, it would be Christ. I think he could handle the language good enough to persuade people. Don't you? If Satan can deceive, don't you think Christ could? Now, deceit is not a good thing, so there's no deceit found in his mouth. But let me tell you, if he wanted to go there, he could be better than anybody at it. He just doesn't do it because he's God. He was truthful. No deceit found in his mouth. Now, how are we going to relate that? How do you relate that to your life? Well, when you're done wrong, when you're suffering for the Lord, get that picture right. If you think you're suffering for yourself or for somebody else, stop. Because you are suffering for yourself at that point. If you're suffering for the Lord, it's different. Something takes place. You find favor with the Lord for one. So, if you're suffering, so here you are, you're suffering for the Lord. I, I, I got accused of doing something on the job that I didn't do, and now they're just on me constantly. Do you sin in that? 
the example says no sin was found. Even during his trial. I, I, if you remember, they tried to let him go several times. Now, I preached on that the last time that I preached. So when you're suffering, do you sin to get out from underneath it? Because you could, huh? You could lie. You could blame it on somebody else even. And get out from underneath it, maybe. It's not what you're supposed to do, is it? Not according to this example. What's the next thing? Verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. So what does reviled mean? Well, it means to have verbal abuse built up against you. To be abused verbally. You think that was going on at the crucifixion? Was there a little verbal abuse going on? There was a little physical abuse going on too. Let's put a cloth over his head and hit him in the face and ask him who hit, who, who hit him. Did he know who hit him? Absolutely he knew. He just didn't choose to go there. And when you're being talked about on your job and you hear the scuttlebutt, I'm sure you just go silent and don't say anything, right? I know I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, who are they to do that? They're saying craziness about me. I didn't do that. Here's the example. What did he do when he was reviled? Did not revile in return. Now, he could have obviously spoken some things about these people that were reviling him that would have been more true than what they were saying about him and put them in their place. I'm imagining he could dice them and slice them with words and put them in their place. Can you, do you think he could do that? He did that to the religious leaders, didn't he? He used scripture to make them look really bad and then went to parables to make everybody look bad. And then what did he do in the midst of it? Did not revile in return while suffering. And, oh, excuse me, while suffering, he uttered no threats. No threats. He threatened no one in his suffering. He could have. He could have called 10,000 angels and been taken off the cross. He uttered no threats. He could have said, are you aware that you're about to do this and I, I'm going to punish you to hell because of it? Didn't even say that. What did he say instead? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. No reviling, no uttering threats, nothing. Just took it. Suffering. And then this one. This is the fifth one. And there's more if you want to really break them out. But these are the five I decided to settle on because I'd like to let you go before 1 o'clock. But this is the most, um, to me, this is the one that we seem to struggle with more than all the others. I used to say that 99% uh, of the Christian life, your Christian walk, 99% um, of the way you get through things is trusting God. I now say 100% of how I get through things are by trusting God. I have no power over a doctor's report that I don't like. 
I, I could go to the doctor this week and they could tell me I have stage four cancer and I'm going to die in six months. I wouldn't like that. Neither would you. But you know what? I hope that I would still trust God. No matter the trial, no matter the suffering, no matter if I'm being treated justly or unjustly, I trust that I would be able to say, I trust God in this. Do you believe that he's sovereign? Do you know what that means? That means he knows everything that's going to happen. He's in charge of it. He's a sovereign God. He's got your days numbered. Whether you believe that this morning or not, I don't care because it's the truth. I do care if you believe it too, though. What's he do? He says there in the latter part, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He's not worried about how they're judging him. He just kept entrusting himself to the sovereignty of his heavenly father. Do you see that? Are you able to do that whenever circumstances aren't good? If you're on the job and people are accusing you of something or they're saying you didn't do what you said you would do and, and you know that's not true, do you just trust God in it? Or do you hold court and defend yourself? Now, a little difference between being a slave and being a, a, a person on a job would be this. And, and I want to say this real quick. If you're on a job today and you get accused and you're being beat up on that job and the guy doesn't like you and all that, you can always just quit. Can't you? You can just say, well, I'm out of here. I ain't got to put up with this. They don't know who I am. They don't know who I am. But if they knew who I am, they wouldn't treat me this way. I'm going to show them who I am. I'm leaving. I'm out. You just quit and leave. Well, that's an American thing. But if you were a slave, you couldn't just quit. Christ couldn't just quit, could he? He had to stay the course. He had to submit to his father and stay the course. So he couldn't quit. I, I, I told him earlier in the service, I have a, a little example of this. And I, I didn't ask for permission in the first service, but my wife was in the service. And so um, afterwards, she came up and gave me permission to say it, and I'd already said it. So, um, <laughs> But I, I was thinking back to a time whenever um, my wife, my wife worked for Kaiser Hospital for 45 years. And um, she had been there about 25 to 25 years or so. And um, she got a new boss. And Lynn had done reviews and stuff, and she had done very well. All her reviews were really high reviews. As a matter of fact, they, her last boss before this one had told her, Lynn, I've got to knock some of this stuff down because you can't be perfect in every spot. Okay, because if I do that, my boss is going to say, well, how's she going to grow then? You know, you got to have room to grow and all that. So, but anyway, this new boss had come in, and um, for some reason... Um, She'd interviewed a lot of the people that were working around Lynn, and a lot of those people learned their jobs from Lynn because Lynn had been there for so long. And so every time she'd ask a person, well, how did you learn to do that? They, the person would say, well, Lynn Howard taught me that. Well, then that, I believe that lady felt threatened by Lynn. And so she ended up doing a job review on Lynn and just saying she didn't do a very good job, like she wasn't a team player. And so this, this got Lynn pretty upset um, because having been a model employee, um, now she's being unjustly treated what was her reaction I don't think she sinned but I think she was looking for a way out of it because she started saying I'll, I'll just find another job I need to find another job let me tell you something if you're on a job where you're being treated unjustly and your number one response is I'm out of here I'm out I don't have to put up with this 
I'm an American. I don't got to put up with this. Okay. Careful. Be careful. Whatever the trouble is, might just follow you to the next job. Because you didn't learn a thing. You certainly didn't suffer in this pattern. So she looked around for jobs. And no one would take her for these jobs because they were less than what her ability was. And they said, Lynn, we know you. As soon as another job comes, you're out. We're not going to hire you for this because you're beyond it. Okay. So anyway, so she's telling me, she comes home one day. This had gone on for about six weeks, and she was miserable. And I, So when, I don't know about you men, but when my wife's miserable... I'm kind of miserable. <laughs> All right, because it's somehow, you know where it says two shall become one? That's the reality of it right there. <laughs> so she comes home one day and she goes, I go, well, did you hear any more about these jobs that you're looking She goes, no, nope, I, I pulled my name out of there. Like you did what? She goes, yeah, I, I'm just going to stay. I'm like, what done happened to your mind, woman? She said, you know, I was on the way to work this morning on that 40-minute drive, and I was praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, let me get this other job. I, 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 it's, they're, treat, they're not treating me right. I don't want to be known as a person that's not a team player. And she said it struck her that, wait a minute, I'm not working for them. I'm not working for them. I'm working unto the Lord. Lord, I'm going to stay right here and work for you. I'm not applying anymore. I'm not, I'm not looking for a way out. I'm just going to stay right here and, and, and work for you. Now, let me, let me tell you how this works. I think within three or four weeks, some girlfriend that didn't even know she was looking for a job calls her. Lynn, they got a job up here in Vallejo. That would be perfect for you why don't you apply for it she goes oh okay more money closer less commute not because of the circumstance now circumstance she's settled on that so she applies okay well the day they want to do her interview she did credentialing at the hospital where she was at and the federal government's coming in to audit the hospital where she wants to get away from. And she has to call them and say, I'm afraid if that's the only interview date, I'll have to decline even interviewing because I won't leave them high and dry over here. Well, you think that bought her a little bit of uh, pleasure from those people that are trying to hire her? Of course it did. But she did the right thing. She could have said, forget you guys. That would have been wrong, though. So you do the right thing no matter what. Guess what? They had 15 criterias on that job. Lynn met every one of them, and they hired her. And the rest is history, as they say. Now, am I going to say that that's going to happen in your circumstance? That's not what I'm saying. What happens, though, is once you make the right decision, once you make the right decision, what did it say happens? Up here, it says... This finds favor with your employer. This finds favor with all your friends. This finds favor with God. Who are you trying to please? 
I hope it's God. Get on the right path. When you're facing circumstances, get on the right path. Follow the right steps. God's given you the right steps. Follow them. Then let's do this real quick. Now we're going to go to substitute. Christ our substitute. Christ our atonement. The result of him being willing to take these steps. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. His suffering, he was, it was necessary for him to follow these steps into the suffering of bearing our sins on a cross. And then what are the results of that? So that we might die to sin. You could never be dead to sin if he hadn't bore your sins on the cross. You'd never be void of sin in your life. You can actually say, I don't have to sin anymore. I'm dead to it. Romans 6, I'm dead to sin. If you're here this morning and you can't say, I'm dead to sin, let me introduce you to somebody. Let me introduce you to somebody. There's a man who came down. He was God. He took on a body. He became Jesus on earth. He died on a cross on your behalf. He was buried and he rose again. And let me tell you something. You place faith in that and that alone is Christ alone. If you do that, if you do that, I'm going to tell you something. You can be dead to sin. You can be dead to sin. Now, it's an interesting thing. That's not all that takes place. You're not just dead to sin. What, are you, what else happens? You're alive to righteousness. All of a sudden, you went from being, I'm headed to hell, to now I'm righteous. I have a righteous standing before him. You know, right now today, if you looked at me, you'd say, you're righteous? Well, I got a righteous standing. I may not always be righteous, but I got a righteous standing. I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going this morning? If you don't, come see me afterward. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. I would love to introduce you to him. There's nothing, you know what I prayed for this week? As I prepared for this sermon, I said, Lord, let me say the words you'd have me say. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me. But, oh, Lord, would you let somebody, anybody, meet you. That they would know my Jesus. Oh, that they would meet my Jesus. Oh, that's what I want more than anything. Don't, I'm not looking for you to come, oh, nice job, pastor. Oh, oh, what did it do for you? Did it change anything for you? Did you see any principles that made a difference? Are you still trying to defend yourself on the job for the guy that's not treating you right? Oh, would you walk in the steps of Jesus Christ? Our atonement. And then, after all those wonderful things, he now is your shepherd. For you were continually straying like sheep. All of you were. Before you met the Savior, before you placed faith in Jesus Christ, you're just straying around like a wandering sheep. You know what wandering sheep do? They get themselves in a lot of trouble. They do because they need a shepherd. They need some guidance. They need someone to care for their soul. You can't do it on your own. You know what? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you've never placed faith in him, you're actually considered dead to God. 
You, you can't do anything to change your circumstance. All you can do is trust in the one that has, has done the work to change your circumstance. That would be Christ. So if you're just straying around out there, I'd like to introduce you to the great shepherd, the one that will guard your soul. Let me read this last thing, and then I'll close. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. I'm reading from the ESV on this one, simply because I plugged in the wrong thing. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. You know what? When he found you straying around, he was looking for you. He came searching for you. You know, everybody thinks they found Jesus. I found Jesus, that whole thing. What an, what an abomination that is. Ain't none of you were looking for Jesus. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness and people of God, if we're not in a dark time right now, I don't know when we will ever be. Can it get any darker than it already is? I guess it can, but man, I don't know. When we can't even decide if we're a man or a woman. If you're stuck in that, I don't bl I'm not saying anything about you personally. I'm trying not to. But good night if you can't look at your anatomy and figure out what you are. I, I don't feel like, I feel like a woman. Well, get over your feelings. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the, by the ravens and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, I might God saying this now, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. You ever had to be made to lie down? Because you're up on the hillside looking for dry grass when there's a green pasture in front of you? I've been there. I fell off a house. I think it was a green pasture time. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Oh my goodness. He wants to be your shepherd. If you're straying, if you're lost, if you're strayed, if you're injured today, he wants to take care of you. He wants to be your guardian of your soul. If you've never met him this morning, if you've come here week after week after week and you don't even know why you keep coming back. It's a, it's a, you like the worship. You love to hear Phil speak. He's a great speaker. You tolerate me, but he's a great speaker. 
and he's kind of fun to listen to. He has some quips and things like that that make you laugh and stuff. And so, and that's all great. We're glad you're here. We want you to keep coming back. But oh, I pray that the Lord would open your eyes this morning and let you see Jesus. Let you see who he is. The atonement. The sacrifice that he made on your behalf. He bore your sins. My sins. On a cross. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. Um, can I just say thank you for Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, what he's done for the church all over this globe, that he was willing to give up heaven and die on a cross on our behalf. And then the example that he set for us on how we can suffer and the right way of doing it. I pray that... Uh, those who are going through suffering this morning, whether it's on their job or whatever their circumstance, I pray that they will have found something in here this morning that gives them some relief, some uh, accountability to you, some resolve of what to do next. And I just thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to speak the truth of Scripture. And um, I would just ask you, Lord, that if someone here, if their conscience has been affected in any way, please don't let them leave without talking to one of us up in front. They, we'll have some men up in the front, myself and others, that would be willing to talk with them and walk them through whatever their questions are. Thank you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.